Hey there, history fans. Melissa here. I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is one of our older episodes. So the way that we sound here is a bit different from what we sound like today. Over time, we've been able to change our format a bit. We've acquired new editing software as well as new mics. So if the sound quality here isn't to your liking, please feel free to check out any of our newer episodes from Elmer McCurdy or anything from about March 18th up to today. I promise they sound a lot better. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. We hope you learned something new and we hope to have you back for more episodes as we continue to trek through history to explain it all. Hey everyone, Melissa here. Just want to let you know that the audio in this episode might sound a little different. We had decided to record outside, so there might be some external noises that you may hear. I did what I could to reduce the noises so that you could hear us a whole lot better. Just wanted to let you know, and now on with the show. History fans, and welcome to another episode of the, the History, History Explains It All podcast. Come with us as we delve into historical topics big and small, strange and obscure, earth shattering, and maybe a little spooky. With your hosts, Lauren and Melissa. That's us. <laughs> Today's episode, we're going to be covering the Olmec civilization. Basically, who were they and when where, were they? When? Where were they? All and about this. Maybe their religion, touch on their religion a little bit. And, you know, their food crops and things like that and trade system and how we know about them. Mm-hmm. Because, well, why not? There's there's not a whole lot to know, but there's some interesting stuff. From what we have, from archaeological evidence, no, there's not a lot. But, mm-hmm. heck, we're going to take what we can get. But... Before we start, we've got your weird history for today. So I don't know about anyone else, I had piggy banks growing up. Did you have a piggy bank growing up? Yeah. Yeah, was it in the shape of a pig? Actually, no, but I still have a piggy bank to this day. (laughs) I still have one, guys. I'm 29 years old, and I still have a piggy bank. <laughs> hey, it's a great way to save a lot of coinage and then put the coinage in rolls and then take it to the bank. Sure, just don't take it to a coin store. They charge you for it. Hence, take it to the bank. bank. Yep. And put it in your account. Mm-hmm. But do you know the origins of piggy banks? No. Why would mm. I know the origins of piggy banks? I don't know. You know obscure stuff, same as I. So do the I? Or- piggy banks... <laughs> Piggy banks originated in the 1400s in late Saxon England, and they were named such because the clay that the potters would use, which is an orange-colored clay, was called, well, back then it was called pug, P-Y-G-G, which in Saxon England, Middle English, the Y was pronounced as a U, so therefore it was called pug. But during the vowel shift from Middle English to Modern English, the Y changed forms and became an I. I think there's still some Nordic uh, languages, like Finnish still pronounces a Y as a U. But in English, we now pronounce it as an I. So therefore, instead of pug, it's pig. So pig clay. So, so did we just add an extra Y at the end and make it piggy bank? No, not quite. But I'll get to that in a minute. I need to know. <laughs> I'm impatient, okay? Don't say anything. We already know. <laughs> anyway. So they, the money boxes and money pots were a standard thing going all the way through probably Roman, probably even back to Egyptian times. Something to keep your span coinage in, right? And they, the potters would use this pig clay and shape it into money pots. Now, money pots back then, unlike today, didn't have an opening to which you can extract the coins. In order to do that, you had to break the pot. There was a slit 
in it for you to put the coins in, but in order to use it, you had to break it, which obviously makes it a little more difficult to spend your money, at the very least. That's true. I mean, heck, we should use those today. Then you'd make a mess, and you'd have to keep buying a new one all the time, so maybe, maybe not. Maybe make a new one? <laughs> it's called going to a potter's class or something. You can. There's several ways to obtain a piggy bank mm-hmm. that doesn't have the little thing on the bottom. And I know it sucks, but you can get them really cheap. Sure. You can find piggy bank cheap ones. Now, Do it together. I don't know. Now, in, in Saxon times, pigs, which obviously were a big farm animal, were known as pigga, P-I-C-G-A, but eventually changed to P-I-G-G-E, pronounced piggy, <laughs> which is where we get piggy from. So pigs became piggy. But... They're so cute. It is cute. And then uh, the potters using this now pronounced pig clay was also forming it into looking like pigs. (laughs) For partly a play on word. (laughs) So we're just going to use a play on word and make it into a piggy bank. And you're going to store your money in the pig. That kind of makes me think that we just stored money in pigs. (laughs) Well, the pigs also would roll around in the piggy clay or the pig clay. So it's also an additional play on words because you have Piggy the pig rolling out in pig clay. Now you're forming pig clay into the form of pigs. Wow. And making them into money banks. We're so imaginative. Mm-hmm. But it's cute. It's cute as all get out, but it lacks any imagination. Well, there's a little more to it as well. So the word bank originally came from the word bench, which has its roots back in... That, Venetian times, at the very least. That just makes me think of a bench you sit on. You sort sit of. On I'm getting bench. it. Yeah, it, it actually Is, plays into it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So medieval Venetians, money lenders, would actually do a lot of their business in the open markets. And how they would do it is they would have a bench in their little section, I guess the business district. And they'd have each lender would have their own bench, which was filled with various currencies, whether from the same country or from various countries, so that you could lend or exchange money out, like if you were uh, a tourist visiting and you wanted to exchange it for the local currency or vice versa. And the term broke the bank is probably a reference to the lenders actually having the benches being broken, which is more of a symbolism for those lenders actually having gone out of business. Mm. Mm -hmm. But we think of the term breaking the bank, which depending on how you look at it, could be in reference to having to break the piggy bank yeah. in order to get your money, but breaking the bank essentially really means financial ruin or a loss of income. So you don't have any a, a, any spare change itself, so you're literally broke at that point. Then, But did you know that the earliest form of pig-shaped banks were not actually from England? Say what? Yeah, no. They were originally the fir- the earliest known pig-shaped banks were actually from the 1300s from Java. Interesting. Yes. And then not too long ago, and actually in Great Britain, there was a 650-year-old Majabahit pig bank that was sold for approximately 6,000 pounds. What's Majabahit? It's a city. Oh, okay. It's 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 a, where the, the the pig piggy bank originally came from. So six thousand pounds roughly translates to about ten thousand American. So a six hundred and fifty year old piggy bank sold for roughly ten thousand dollars. Wham. Uh huh. A clay pit. Dang. Mm-hmm. If you go to money, it's it's a lot of money for a clay piggy bank. And did you know that in the Netherlands and Germany, even to this day. It's common to give gifts of pig-shaped banks, as pigs themselves are seen as good luck and good fortune. Uh, On to the main topic of today, which brings us back to the Olmec. Oh, gosh. Flashback to college. By the way, Melissa, I'm the expert for Egyptian, which, by the way, I'm not really an expert. Uh, She's the one that studied the Olmec. Not specifically. I, I more so studied mine. So my major was archaeology in Mesoamerica, with my minor being Greek and Roman art and archaeology. So she's going to also introduce this topic to us. Yay. And I'm just going to chime in with some information that I found <laughs> slash discovered 
because this is so not my area. (laughs) (laughs) College all over again. Woohoo! College for you. It's kind of college for me because my professors actually studied places like Machu Picchu and um, pre-Columbian civilizations in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I touched on some of it, but not a lot. I spent four years studying it. It was going to be part of my grad school work, too. It didn't happen. That's okay. Grad school is expensive, y'all. As someone who attended grad school myself, I can attest to that. Yeah. I ended up living at home because it was so expensive. Don't do it if you have to live at home. No, I'm kidding. Do do what you have to do. Do what you feel is necessary. Okay. So the Olmec is actually considered to be the first civilization in all of Mesoamerica. And by Mesoamerica, we mean Central America. From essentially Panama up through Mexico. Now, the Olmec themselves were from... The Gulf of Mexico, the lowlands of Gulf of Mexico is very swampy, lots of ridges, lots of mountains, lots of volcanoes. Danger zone. And they, Danger zone. <laughs> Sorry. If I start quitting Archer, if you don't, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so they specifically are from the regions of Tabasco and Veracruz, which are along the inner portion of the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they are actually the precursor to both the Mayan and the Aztec. They're the oldest civilization, oldest major civilization. That we've found. That is known through archaeological evidence. That is known throughout Central America. And they flourished between 1600 to about 350 B.C. Yeah, see, I had 1200 that they flourished. Not, I didn't get the 1600. But different sources pro- provide different information, actually. Mm-hmm. So 1600 is, would have been when they probably started. started. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the major cities that we're going to be talking about were around the 1200s. When That'll come they, later. At, the, at their height would have been like the 1200s. That'll come later. Mm-hmm. But um, you said that the, the word Olmec is... What, it's what's actually, the word? The word Olmec is not actually in reference to the Olmec themselves. It's a Nahuatl term, which is the language of the Aztecs, so it means the land of the rubber people. So so it's referring to the fact that they produce rubber? Or well, rubber trees? Or? So there's a... what's not, if, if anyone has seen The Road to El Dorado, which nowhere near historically accurate, but a fun movie nonetheless. It's adorable. It's a very fun movie. And if you've seen it, you'll, you've seen the civilization. In there. I don't want to say it's Mayan or Aztec because it's sort of nondescript in there. Although I think it's mostly more based off the of Mayan than it is Aztec. But you'll see them playing a ball game in which they have to hit this ball, which stays in play, and it has to go through hoops. Now, we don't know the exact rules of this ball game. Mm-hmm. It's still sort of played today, but... It could have been a variation on a previous, like an, an ancestral version of the game. But the ball that is used is made of rubber. So throughout Mesoamerica, there are rubber trees. And the Olmecs were known as the people who first invented this ball game and extracting the rubber from the trees to make various goods such as the ball game balls. Ah! Mm-hmm. That's fun. Because, I mean, we base some of our ball games that we play today off of it, don't we, I think? It's something similar to volleyball, soccer, basketball, anything, any ball game that we play today in which the ball has to stay in play. And go through like a hoop or a net or something? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Hey. I also got that they lived near the Gulf of Mexico, but they grew the their crops. Mm-hmm. Were basically like corns and beans and um, squash. Yeah, those are those are still the staples of, of those areas today, today, too, for sure. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, you also have the local plant life. You've got local nut trees. You have cacao beans. You've also got it, it's by the Gulf. You also got rivers coming in. Yeah, there's also tons of seafood as well too, which were their major sustainabilities at that time. Yeah, I also found that, you know, maize was the maize corn. That's the staple food of the area, mm-hmm. which didn't you say it was uh, 
cultivated it or something. Slash it, and burn. Oh, that's well, what slash you were and burn was when you're when you're growing it. So corn is known to have been cultivated in the Mesoamerican region around 2700 BC, much longer before the Olmec civilization itself cropped up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> I like puns. That was horrible. <laughs> oh my god. I'm dying. Okay. But as they were growing it, I mean, these, they, essentially they lived in villages. So different pockets throughout these regions, they lived in villages. So as they're growing their crops, it was considered to be slash and burn. So where it's sort of a rotation in terms of crops, because you can't just grow crops in the same field over and over and over again and expect the same results, because you're not going to. You're going to deplete the nutrition out of the soil. You have to do a rotation of some kind in order for the nutrition to come back. And if you do it in a rotation, or you do a slash and burn, which which means that you're literally setting the field on fire after the harvest so that it it you can't grow food in there for a period of time for it to replenish itself and then you go back and do it Mm -hmm. but the way that they did it given that the villages were not quite they weren't massive villages yeah i think we'll get into it but i think la venta which was one of the biggest ceremonial sites one of the capitals of later olmec held up to eighteen thousand people We'll Which, have a timeline, guys. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a map with a timeline. Yeah, we'll have and a timeline. Also, a map that map. will a, a map which will give you uh, the different regions of the areas of the two. Mm-hmm. They didn't only slash and grow, right? They also naturally hunted, like we said, mm-hmm. some of their food in nature and in in the forests and in the oceans and yeah. water yeah. sources as well, which were really important. But what's interesting is I found extremely interesting was that they have influenced us to this day in concerns of the food of cacao. At the very least, there's so much more, too. Oh, I'm just talking about one that I found. (laughs) There's there's probably tons that I don't know of, but uh, I found it very interesting with cacao because cacao is something that we cherish to this day. Tons of people love chocolate which comes from the cacao bean. Mm -hmm. But they would actually cultivate or harvest or process the cacao bean. And they used it in like chocolate, like a very, very first versions of hot chocolate kind of drink, I guess. Which is more of a ceremonial drink than it was just an everyday drink like we have today. You can't just go, like nowadays you can go and get Hershey's hot chocolate or Ovaltine or something. Or just some sort of chocolate powder or chocolate syrup even and make yourself a hot chocolate. Mm -hmm. Back then, cacao wasn't... It wasn't as abundant, maybe? No, it was abundant. It was a ceremonial commodity. It was a special... It was a special special food. For special occasions. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was not something that the everyday people would have every day like we can today. Okay. Also today, it's so processed that... You can make it, a whole bunch from a little bit. Yeah. Well, we we now can mill it way f- more finely than they probably ever could or something. Yeah. Like it that. was actually quite bitter, too. So if you've ever had something similar to like 80% dark chocolate would be something similar to getting what, it out what? of, of actually cacao beans. So which is why you probably seen a lot of Mexican chocolates will have cinnamon or nutmeg and maybe some chili pepper to add some flavor to take away from some of that bitterness of mm-hmm. um, the near pure chocolate that they would process. That's cool. Back to the cities themselves that we were mentioning. I mean, I had that, you know, San Lorenzo, La Venta, Las Limas, Tres Bodes. These were major city centers for the Olmec through, throughout their existence mm-hmm. as a civilization. Yeah. And San Lorenzo was actually the first. Yeah. Which, which is... And it was, although it wasn't actually a city center, it was a ceremonial center. center. And then you had, like, pockets of villages kind of around it? Correct. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Okay. So, it's like, the Great Pyramids and those areas would be where you would go to have rituals and sacrifices and things like that, and just various ceremonies. You wouldn't actually live on the site. You'd live around it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Like, why would you live in the religious center? You would live around the religious center so you can easily access it when necessary. But there's no reason to live in it all the time. Maybe unless you were a priest. Possibly. Possibly. I would think the priest would live in the religious center so that if anything was necessary, they were right there to do it. Whether it be sacrificial or uh, prayer-wise, if there was some, I don't really know. Definitely sacrificial, for sure. And by that, we mean human sacrifice. Yes. And excuse me, I might sneeze. Um, ooh, sorry, no. My nose was telling me I had to sneeze, and then it was like, <laughs> no, you don't have to sneeze. You do, you don't kind of situation there. Apologies, guys. But I would think that they would live there just for easy access when necessary, or daily rituals, I would think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were definitely daily rituals such as bloodletting, which you would do, which... Ugh. So, aside of, of human sacrifice, which you are sacrificing people to your gods, and they had a, a variety of gods. Now, we don't actually have names for these gods because there's no official writing system known because there's not a whole lot that actually survives. Obviously, there are some glyphs, like we'll get into the Kasakahal block, which actually has various glyphs on it, and it's sort of similar version of the Rosetta Stone. Not really quite, but if you were to give an example, Rosetta Stone might be the closest comparison, comparison to it. Of. Yeah. But the colossal heads are the biggest thing that most people are know the Olmecs for, which if anyone grew up in the 90s watching Nickelodeon hmm. and ever watched Legends of the Hidden Temple, which was an awesome show, then you remember maybe Olmec the talking stone head that would give the participants their historical info for them to give the answers to so they can move on through each course. Yeah. And it's literally based off the colossal Olmec heads. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It, it's interesting to see because you had these colossal... And by we're col- colossal. And, okay, when we say colossal, we do mean that they are big. The, the heads themselves are at the least one to three meters tall which runs about 3 feet to 12 feet tall. Somewhere between that. But they're made of massive, massive basalt boulders. Yeah. And these heads, which we'll have pictures of, could run anywhere between at least 15 to 20 tons. They're huge. Well, as far as we know, there's 17 of them. Yeah, and 10 of them in San Lorenzo alone. Which we'll get into San Lorenzo in a bit, but... There's ten. Of, there's seventeen of these colossal heads, and they share similar features of you know the flat nose and kind of round face. I they believe have chubby cheeks. Chubby cheeks. Yeah, very chubby. So chubby round, cheeks. Round faces, basically. Round faces, chubby cheeks, flat noses, very distinctive mouths. A lot of the sculptures, masks, the colossal heads all have a very distinctive downturned mouth, which is a very common motif in Olmec art. Mm-hmm. But each head itself is it's male. A, well, they're all male, and they're all individual. There is no yeah. one repeating head. Yeah, they they they're not exact replicas of each other. They share features, but they are not exactly the same. And not only that, they're male. Like we said, every single one is a male head, and they all have differing headdresses, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. But we think it was uh, royal rulers. Yes, either deceased rulers or possibly deceased priests even. Um, and some of them even have jaguar paw, what looks like a jaguar paw, covering its forehead, which would have been, because jaguars were incredibly sacred. They even, one of their highest deities is believed to be a were-jaguar. Which means half man, half jaguar, basically. Correct. <laughs> and, it's, and, and a lot of their deities were actually part human, part animal of some kind, but mostly jaguars. Mm-hmm. And rulers or priests during certain ceremonies would probably wear skin similar to some Native American cultures would wear the skin of the animals. Like when they're doing certain ceremonies, would wear the skin of an animal, like the buffalo dance, in order to sort of transcend into that animal to gain its powers of sorts. Who would have known? Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating because in, in the area that they lived, jaguars were pretty prominent, I believe. They're not it's, anymore. It's all race for us, so yeah. They're not anymore. 
they're not as not, prominent as they used to be yeah. during the Olmec times. We've done a lot of hunting and deforestation and all that stuff. That's right. But they were such an importantly sacred animal. And it's and they were kind of top of the food chain, I would think. Well, a lot of their gods were based off of predators as well, too. But going back to yeah. the heads for just a second, it's also believed that... Now, mind you, we'll have pictures of these heads. They are massively huge. You'll see. And You'll just see in the pictures, guys. But it's, it's, it's thought by some historians and archaeologists that they're are only heads of these deceased rulers because it is possible, because we know from Mayan and some Aztec beliefs, that the head itself is the home of the soul. So instead of having a full body carving, you just have the head carving to preserve the soul of your dead ruler. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Very opposite to Egyptian belief. Mm -hmm. Because Egyptians mummified the entire body, not just... Except for the heart. Well, I mean, they yeah. modified the heart. They didn't take the heart out because they thought the heart housed yeah. the soul. Yeah, but they used the whole body. You needed the whole body in order for it to, for you to live in the afterlife. Right. Fascinating. That's really cool. But they're going back to the the predators and things that they represented as part of their deities. It would be jaguars and sharks, caimans, snakes, eagles. Yeah, a whole bunch of, uh, and then they would also essentially wear these things uh, uh, as part of their deities. By wear, I mean as in part human, W E R E wear, as in part human, part animal. Yeah. Well, what's also interesting is that they had a sky dragon deity. Yes, which there's still a sky dragon deity. There is the Olmec sky sky dragon. Then it transfers to the Maya, transfers to the Aztec. If anyone's familiar with it, that would be Quetzalcoatl. Or the rainbow serpent. Yeah. Which is interesting because dragons didn't exist, but I guess I'm assuming it's based off of actual snakes rather than the well, idea of a dragon, like an actual dragon. The, but the, the, the it, rainbow it's serpent. It's a flying snake. It's a flying snake. Well, at least I know the Aztec one and, and like Mayan one with the. Uh, What's up, Kolo? I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, what I'm saying is the snake itself. As with some other cultures, the snake is sort of an, uh, a big, big time deity. There's yeah. your like the snake and the cosmic egg. Wadjet, Egyptian mm-hmm. snake. Yeah, and she's then, the protector. Wad, she, he, the god. Oh, Wadjet the, is the protector on the crown of well, both Egyptian north and southern crowns. The and fair crowns com- combined, mm-hmm. and the the feathered serpent, or probably the sky dragon, which is a proto version is actually a deity that can traverse the living world and the underworld. Huh. Because snakes go into the ground, too, sort of. Ooh. You know? So it, it, cool. it slithers up trees, it slithers down trees. You know, snakes are quite mobile. Yeah. That's... I but, didn't think but of snakes, that. But snakes and, and just human culture have been feared and revered. Well, we definitely fear them. I'd be scared. I, I don't like the idea of seeing a copperhead. Or a rattlesnake. Well, co- that's because they're they're poisonous. poisonous. I, I've held I I've held boa constrictors oh, and yeah. pythons. I don't mind snakes, but as long as they're not poisonous, I'm fine with snakes. <laughs> snakes are cool. I, I I've actually I, touched an anaconda skin. The thing was massive. Yeah, those are cool snakes. They're very cool. I th- I still think a king cobra is a very neat snake. We're totally veering off topic here, <laughs> but just for fun, I I think king cobras are amazing and they're gorgeous. However. It needs to be 100 feet away from me. <laughs> asps, asps, too. Asps, I don't want to too. be anywhere near an asp. We'll get into asps in another episode. <laughs> Trust me, there will be an episode pertaining to asps. But in tying with the snakes, a lot of their... The, the Olmec had reference to natural places in which they could worship the, the earth, the sky, and the underworld, which mostly were caves, but you would also have mountains and rivers as well, too. So mm-hmm. in which to make offerings and worship their, their gods. Because they had gods of rain, gods of maize, the jaguar god, the sky dragon. And the, although we don't know the names of their gods, because we don't know the names of the Olmecs either. Again, Olmec itself is, and, and as Nahuatl is an Aztec term. So we don't know their spoken language, but we'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> they, as a lot of his uh, civilizations throughout the world, there's always a references and beliefs and an underworld, a heaven of sorts, and then the earthly plane. Something sky, earth, underworld. Right. 
connection in the belief system. It's in polytheistic beliefs and monotheistic beliefs. It doesn't matter which version you really get into, because even if you look at Greek god representations, it's the same thing. You had the Greek gods up in the sky, and then you had Hades in the underworld, and then you had the demigods on the earth, I guess. Or even Poseidon ruled the ocean. That was sort of an in-between plane. Yeah. Yeah, the demigods on earth as well, and like um, fawns and things like that, Mm -hmm. which were not considered human. So it's definitely on par with the rest of religions that I know of, or belief systems that I know of. It's It stays in that same idea. Well, we were talking earlier, too, that it's just very interesting how the evolution of humans, let alone the evolution of human re- the religions that we've created throughout human existence, have a lot of very similar traits to them, even when they are created halfway across the world from each other. Yep. I'm wrapped up, guys. I was... <laughs> We're outside. She's cold. I'm chilly. Well, I'm not cold. I'm chilly. If I was cold, I'd need to be wearing a winter jacket, but that's silly. We live in Southern California, guys. Where were we? Do you want to talk about San Lorenzo? Oh, yes. I went ahead and, because this is not my area of expertise or real knowledge, I went ahead and looked up these cities because, for me, this is new and fascinating. (laughs) It's well, let me rephrase that. It's not new. It's just I know I've known some of the basics on the Olmec civilization, but I never went deep into it like I did with Levantine. So I went ahead and looked up the three of the the three major cities that I could find information on, which includes San San Lorenzo, La Venta, and Tres Zapotes. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. So what I found pertaining to San Lorenzo was that it's the oldest Olmec center. And around 1150 B.C. is the year of origin for this center. No, that would have been the height. The height, sorry. Not the origin. Not the origin. It it originated around 1600 B.C. Okay, so it originated around 1600 B.C., but its height was around 1150, 1200 Mm -hmm. B.C.E. By the way, B.C.E., before the Common Era, C.E., Common Era, which means after the death of Christ. So that's similar to B.C.A.D., if anyone's... Yeah, and it's located in the southern portion of Veracruz in Mexico, today's Mexico. And I don't know how to pronounce this basin. Do you want to pronounce it for me? Oh, well, let me show it to you. Coatzacoalas? Yes, mm-hmm. you're, she's going to do the pronunciation on that one. I'm just going to butcher that. Kind of like I almost did with the dragon deity god. Oh, Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, okay. that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that this, the Olmec capital, it was, an, it was the capital it was the first capital, capital of the Olmec civilization. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the largest city. And then it just kind of died out at about 900 BCE. Yes. Which, it's still unknown as to why, but it's mostly thought due to environmental factors. Again, we've said that there were volcanoes in the area. They kind of go off randomly mm-hmm. and sometimes in groups. Yay! I mean, I believe there there is a thing called the Ring of Fire. If you look it up, we can even have a picture of it, where uh, particularly around the tropical equator in v- uh, various parts of the world, there are chains of volcanoes. Okay. <laughs> and Don't it live can there. Get quite, yeah. <laughs> if you can help it, probably not. So it's very possible that at least one major volcano or several volcanoes went off, causing ash in the air, also, possibly causing the rivers to change courses, which meant the previous rivers dried up or silted over. So, so it could have been an environmental reason for the abandonment rather than anything else. Right. There's thoughts of possible uprisings as well, maybe possibly invasions as well. But that Invasions isn't believed to be a very likely cause possible. I'm thinking uprising mixed with environmental factors myself. Probably a combination. As if you're going from one, you go from San Lorenzo to La Venta, both one ends around 900 BC, the other starts around 900 BC as the next major capital. Ah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, and they're not, they're, they're close, but they're not quite close to each other. And so my, what my thought was is that you had environmental factors that caused the resources around San Lorenzo to dry up, and so you move capitals which means you also move your resources. But if also you are sacrificing people, let alone just blood, but people and and animals and making offerings to the gods, 
to help control any possible volcanic activity that might be have been going on, and it's not happening, and nature itself is just saying, I'm here, <laughs> deal with me, and then you, 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 you probably are going to have some coups or like some kind of uprising to take Maybe over. somebody angered a god or two. Mm. Again, back to the angering of the gods, <laughs> like Pompeii. <laughs> first episode, guys. We're referring to the first episode it on that. It could have something like that as well. It could have been. So then, could have been that belief at least. Mm-hmm. And then, so it dies out at around 900 BCE, and then the next prominent city becomes Laventa. Mm-hmm. Now, Laventa originated around 1200 BCE is what I have, but it became to its height around 900 BCE and then kind of... And then it it continued until the, they say, disappearance of the Olmecs. Of the Olmecs. I will get into my theory on that, but, or died out. Again, I don't think they actually died out, but we'll get into it. But the Olmec civilization is believed to have ended around 350-400 BCE, but Laventa stayed on as a major capital until the end of their civilization. Yeah, and then it was just abandoned, of course, and the city had mounds, a plaza, and a pyramid, as well as what they considered the royal compound. Which was a, a red-painted elaborate structure with workshops and such in it. Possibly. But uh, the city is located in Tabasco, Mexico. The Great Pyramid of the Olmecs is located at La Venta. And didn't you say there were four of the colossal heads located there? Yeah, so going back to things cropping up throughout human civilizations that tie into each other, even though they are created in completely separate areas, pyramids are another thing. There are many, many civilizations throughout history that have created pyramids. Or something similar. Right. Mounds, pyramids, ziggurats, something similar to that. Let's keep going. Just kidding. (laughs) But so the one in in the Leventa itself, and you'll see similar to Egyptian pyramids as well, they're precisely created. Mm -hmm. The the math is done. Mostly they're probably precise, not so much mathematical, but in terms of astrological. Yeah, Which as far were always as a big thing. As far as I know, the pyramids of Giza are astrological. Correct. Uh, we can do a whole episode on that actually that if we be, want to. It'd be pretty interesting. So the Laventa pyramids actually sits on a north to south axis, very distinct. And in front of it there are four massive colossal heads which face away from it, which are thought to be guarding it at key different points, such as possibly the four directions. Huh. Mm-hmm. Compass directions, yeah. Interesting. And the same precision, astrological precision, was also later on used by the Aztecs and the Mayan as well, too. That would make sense, especially if they're taking it from the Olmec, which they possibly did. I'm assuming they did. That's an assumption on my part. Well, there are so many things that the Olmec started that eventually went on to the next civilizations as well, too. And that's not just the pyramids or the precision or the ball game. There's also... They are believed to have been the people who created what is known as the Mesoamerican calendar. Now, there's the Mayan calendar, the Aztec calendar, slightly two different things. But the calendar in general that is used was mm-hmm. believed to have created by the Olmec. And then you also have the concept of zero, which also, again, with humans, not every civilization has a zero, but it does crop up in various civilizations huh. as something that just people tend to create. It's very, very, very fascinating. This is something similar to what I was had thought of doing as part of my thesis paper in grad school, <laughs> comparing different civilizations to each other in terms of compatib- uh, comparabilities of different concepts throughout human civilizations. Very interesting topic. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But they still have. And now if you ever look at it, the concept of zero is actually, the symbol of it is a shell. So it's a placement as opposed to specifically a zero. Okay. So, and then if anyone's interested, and I'll, we'll have a link to a picture. I'll show something on there. And so our base, now I know this is in reflection of the Mayan numerical system. It may, but seeing as the Olmecs are sort of proto-Mayan, it's possible that this also is a reflection to the Mayan numerical system. I'm sorry, to the Olmec numerical system, that 
it actually is in the base 20. So ours is in a base 10. Mm -hmm. Five fingers on each hand, base 10. 10. But they based it hands and feet. So th theirs is a 20 base system. Five, five fingers, five toes, two, two, to two feet, mm -hmm. and two ten hands. 10 fingers, 10 toes. Yes. 20 base system. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And But it's written instead of uh, horizontally like we do now, which I think is based off of the... Arabic numerical system. That's how we get I'm, like ones and zeros and, and things like that. I'm not 100% sure on that. I know the zero concept in today's modern math comes, I believe, came from the, the Arabs. That could be another episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're finding more and more episodes <laughs> as we continue to talk. Any more suggestions, you can feel free to email us at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can reach us through that or through our website. Uh, the numerical system also runs vertically instead of horizontally. So okay. it's, it's sort of a space saver, kind of like kanji, I guess, would it runs vertically, I think. Some character, most character languages started by running vertically. I, I, as far as I know, character languages such as Hong Korean and Japanese and Chinese, I believe they started out as vertical, written in vertical characters, written uh, top to bottom, I believe. But it is kind it of a space saver if you're, and, and it's, it's just, now glyphs are a whole different thing because if anyone's ever looked at Mayan glyphs, not just the numerical glyphs, but the writing glyphs, they're incredibly elaborate and incredibly complicated. But the numerical system is incredibly simple. Complicated is an understatement. The numerical system is very simple. I've actually used that and made up my own crypto codes, but that's a whole different. That's a that's hobby. a different hobby. That's a, that's a hobby. I like making codes <laughs> up, you guys. It's just uh, cryptography is awesome. She's weird. <laughs> we got it. But after so so, Laventa. Mm -hmm. Back to Laventa now. Back to the cities because <laughs> we just completely veered off track. Yeah. Hope you guys still enjoyed it. But Laventa itself stayed in use as a major city until the decline of the Olmec. I'm mm -hmm. just going to call it the decline. Yeah, that's it's okay. a perfectly good word for it. And uh, Tres Zapotes was another city that lasted until about 900. So it's another one of the first Olmec sites that was written about. Yes. That I know of. I, I think it was one of the first discovered cities. Which okay. is probably why it was written about first. And it's lo located in the Tuxla, 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 Tuxla Mountains. Oh, and it and it, it's the the X is pronounced as an S H. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep handing you the paper. <laughs> let's just let's just admit to that, okay? Um, it was the city was founded in 1500 BCE, and it became predominant again around 1200. That's mm -hmm. what I got. Yeah, it just never became as massive as. Laventa or San Lorenzo, it was not a major, major capital, Ceremo no. ceremonial capital. Yeah, I have that it was just an important city, mm -hmm. not that it was ceremonial or not that it reached the heights that Laventa or San Lorenzo did, just that it became an important site. It could have been something similar to, say, the mountain site of El Manati, which was more of a ceremonial offering site, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a massive site, but there's a lot of interesting artifacts that were found there too. Which we can discuss right after, actually, because I did some research on two other sites. I couldn't find much on El Manati, but you would know. <laughs> so we'll just let you talk about that one. But Tres Zapotes itself was actually not fully abandoned even after the decline of the Olmec. It was still occupied. Just not by Olmec, Olmec proper, I suppose. Uh, the city was not abandoned until around 1,000, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200. CE mm -hmm. or AD, however a you want to describe AD, it. Okay. And if you think about it, mm -hmm. the Mesoamerican, not the Olmec specifically, but just Mesoamerican civilization, which technically still goes on to this day oh, yeah. in certain parts of of Central America, mm -hmm. particularly you still have descendants of the Mayan in Belize and Guatemala and yes. Nicaragua, and then you also have descendants of the Aztecs all around Mexico. Mm -hmm. But even if you were to go from the origins of civilization, or at least major civilization, in Central America up to the time of the conquistadors in the 1400s, early 1500s, this entire grouping of civilization 
lasted about as long as the Egyptians. Yes. Because it ran from about 1600 BC to about 14, early 1500s AD. Yes. It's about three, almost 3,000 years. Yes. That's a lot of time. Yes. And, and especially we'll given you... that the Olmec were the proto-civilizations to the Mayan and the Aztec, Aztec. and a lot of their rituals and I guess hobbies and, and glyphs and writing languages and sculptures and masks and artistry continued through mm-hmm. to the Aztecs, which the Aztecs were very short-lived. The Aztecs were only about, I think, they were only about 500 years, so like 1,000 to 1,500. They only ran about 500 years. Yeah. Aztecs weren't around oh. that long until the Europeans showed up. Yeah. But okay. to essentially have something that you started in 1600 BC run all the way until the European essentially invasion mm-hmm. of the conquistadors that's a long time yeah for a civilization to just we'll, prosper we'll put up two timelines there's an Egyptian timeline that we have up on our Facebook page where we put up our sources in reference to the Ramses the third episode which was our second episode mm-hmm. and we'll I'll repost that timeline again and we'll also do another timeline of the Mesoamerican civilizations so that you can kind of do a comparison of length if you want to yes. uh, on your own but we'll, we'll have that up on our Facebook page which is by the way history explains it all the city is also wasn't the first colossal head discovered here because it was one of the first cities found um, at Tres de Botes yes in 1862 by Jose Medagari Serrano what? <laughs> <laughs> the first Olmec head, uh, the first colossal head was discovered in 1862 in, at Tres Apotes. <laughs> the name! It, you just went so fast! <laughs> Languages are fun. I talk fast. Yes, you do. Okay, that, that I didn't. But we didn't have a whole bunch of archaeological finds. Well, finds, discoveries, scientific, detailed excavations weren't until at least 1925 through the 1940s specifically in terms of... That's because early versions of archaeology was not archaeology. It It was was grave robbing. robbing. It's tomb robbing, grave robbing, however you want to describe it. It's tomb raiding, tomb robbing, grave robbing, grave raiding, however you want to describe that. It's basically stealing history. That's the very earliest forms of archaeology, so it's not really archaeology. Although technically, there aren't a lot of Olmec graves. (laughs) <laughs> That's true, too. You want to go into that one <laughs> a little bit? for a minute. So the rainforest in that area tend to bring about acidic rain, and obviously acid and skeletons don't mix. You think? <laughs> so unless, like, El Manatea has a bog, which was probably used as... It, 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 is believed to have been a ceremonial site because of this bog. Now, bogs are anaerobic, which means there's no oxygen in it, allowing for better preservation. So in that particular bog, there were jewelry and pots and jade offerings, obsidian offerings. There was also baby skeletons, whether they were stillborn or newborn skeletons. We're not really sure why there's babies in this bog, along with other common offerings. But in terms of adult skeletons... There's almost none because the acid rain from the rainforest tends to dissolve them. So we don't actually have, outside of the masks and heads and various sculptures, we don't really know what the Olmec looked like because we have no no skulls to do any kind of facial reconstruction. However, again going back to the colossal heads with the chubby cheeks, the round faces, and the sort of flat noses, the, the people of the Olmec region area that still live there also still have similar facial features to the Olmec from back in the day. Cool. And the language is also similar, too. So the language they speak there is sort of a, called uh, Nisha Zawakan. Uh, and so it's if they still look similar to the Olmec, still have practices similar to the Olmec, still have a language that is now then probably believed to have been a descendant of the Olmec languages itself. Huh. Well, that's one site. I found two other sites. There's several lots of sites. I know, but I found two others that I went searching. Uh, Chalcatzingo, mm-hmm. that that was settled, again, around 1500 BCE. And it's located in, in the mountains where a river runs through it, which is an extremely important factor because the idea of connecting Earth, sky, Earth. underworld, because yeah. there's also, I think it's also a cave. And it's also how you sustain a culture is by being able to grow your food, which you need a water source for. I was about to say rotter. <laughs> wow. 
wow, just wow to me. And it was also the tra- a trade route ran directly through it, as far as my knowledge goes. Well, there was a lot of Olmec trade routes. And- oh, there's tons of them. Chalcatzingo was just one of the locations where a major one went through, as far as I know. Which, this trade route connected the Olmec civilization to everyone else, basically. It's it's a trade. It's, it's your, your trade highway. And there was a ton of iconography especially pertaining to jaguars or were jaguars there. So in it I guess it's an area where they really revered the jaguar at that particular Chalcatzinco site. Well that and also just throughout the whole region as well. Mm-hmm. Because they were kind of a top predator. It's like revering the lions. Mm. You could kill it, but they can also kill you pretty quick. So. Reminds me of the Lion King. Rawr. And then Osh Oshtotitlan? 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 Titlan. Aww. That's located in Guerrero. Guerrero? Guerrero, yeah. Guerrero, Mexico. And it's a cave, actually. Mm-hmm. Which contains paintings that resemble the art of the Olmec people. So, Which, again, is not frequently found. Yes, true. So it's something kind of rare. And it's a cave that has two grottos, north and south, and the discovery of textiles were also discovered in that cave, which is interesting. Paintings, textiles, Offerings. all in one. Which just makes me think it's probably more of a religious center. Probably. And that too, because I was mentioning earlier about Italian grottos, where some of the monasteries were even created yeah. around those because... It's a religious It's a religious site, site, whether somebody saw something in there or they were told to pilgrimage there. Yeah. But it's a religious site to where you can make offerings. Uh, there's churches built into some of these grottos. They're so big. Grotto is essentially just another word for cave. Yeah. But there's two sections, I guess you could say, to this one cave of Oshtotitlan. Osh- mm-hmm. I'm trying to pronounce this right. <laughs> And actually, when the cave was discovered and opened up for visitors later on, of course, destruction. <laughs> Their graffiti and things like that. We mentioned this in Pompeii. Just please be respectful. If you please destroy it, we don't have it anymore. There, there's only one of these places. There's only one Pompeii. There's only one center for Giza pyramids. There's only one um, Olmec, region. Olmec region. We don't. We can't replicate this. There's, we can't remake it. It's lost. For, it'll be lost forever. So what they actually decided to do was do a conservation project. A conservation project was performed. And now a surrounding city of Akatlan, one of the cities that's around Oshtotitlan, mm-hmm. is Akatlan. And the people of Akatlan actually now take care of the cave. And they've fenced it, gated it off, basically. And if you want to visit the cave, you have to go register in Akatma in order to see the cave. So now it's limited access. They had to clean up the graffiti and anything that was left behind of the present day era that shouldn't technically be there for historical and conservation purposes and actually do some conservation work in order to make sure that we preserve the site so that we have it for centuries to come. Right. Which is, which doesn't surprise me. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm really inspired by what the people of Akatlan did by taking it on as their project, I guess, in a a way. community project. Yeah, as a community project to keep it safe. Mm -hmm. I think that was really important, and I like that they're doing it rather than somebody like UNESCO or another heritage group that, or a university or something like that. We apologize for the planes, guys, if we're outside. Helicopters. Mm -hmm. They decided they wanted to stick around. I only had one other note, really, to put myself. I don't know about you, but I found it interesting because we were talking about how the Olmecs were Proto-Mayan. Correct. And actually, people used to think that the Mayan were the oldest civilization, Mm -hmm. Mesoamerican civilization, let me rephrase that. And it wasn't until 1929 when a man known as Marshall... H. Seville, who was the director of the Museum of the American Indian in New York, separated Mayan artifacts from what we know as Olmec artifacts today, but they didn't even have a name for it in 1929. It was just separated. Mm -hmm. They started actually separating the artifacts and thinking of it as two different peoples or civilizations or groups to study rather than oh, the Mayans were the oldest. No, these people were the oldest. We just don't know who they are. Right. And then Smithsonian's Matthew Sterling comes along in the 1930s and the 40s. He does a lot of 
detailed excavations on various Olmec sites. And then he and art historian Miguel Codarrubias decides they're looking at it going, these aren't, these are distinctly different from Mayan, mm-hmm. but similar. But we also believe that these are prior to the mm-hmm. Mayan civilization. And then they car- carbon dated things and were actually able to determine that these distinctive artistic artifacts are separate from and earlier than the Mayan itself. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anything else to add. I just had about the Cascajal block. Oh, yes. Which is actually, I feel like I may have mentioned it, but just in case I didn't. You, you mentioned it in the beginning, but you did. we said we'd go into more deep. Oh, no. You said that. So as I said, as I feel like I may have mentioned before, it's... Tell me. The the best comparison I have to it would be the Rosetta Stone. Mm -hmm. But although with the Rosetta Stone, you have three different languages, so you're able to decipher some of the ancient hieroglyphics. This one, it's not really decipherable, but it's a large block with what are known to be Olmec glyphs on it. Probably numerical glyphs as well as... um, word glyphs, but there are 62 different, 62 glyphs on this rock, 28 of them which are very unique, and then there's also repetitive symbols, Mm -hmm. there's a syntax to it, and there's even word order as well, so it definitely says something, but we still don't have enough of the Olmec glyphs or some kind of carved, not so much written, but carved language to decipher it into what it actually says. In other words, we can't translate. That's no. what that sounds like. <laughs> but speaking of, of translating, so I, as I had said, I have a theory as to what happened to the Olmec. Again, people say that they died out. They were just lost. I prefer the word declined because it's very rare that civilizations just get lost. It's not the lost colony of Roanoke, but that's where I was kind of going yeah. with my example. So, That's not a civilization. That's it's not a civilization. It's still a group, though. But they say lost colony. And a lost colony because they couldn't find them. But there are records that state that the local tribes in that area probably assimilated them because there were peoples of that particular tribe around the lost colony in that part of North Carolina that ended up with blue eyes, which is not something that was around. It was not something that it, it, that came from the Europeans. So now you're having native tribe members with blue eyes not long, maybe a generation or so after the lost colony, the lost colony disappeared. So you think that the Olmec had the same similar situation? They were just actually assimilated rather than they assimilating. Right, right. Because if, if obviously if they had such a big impact on the later civilizations and all of their stuff was, you know, the ball games and the glyphs and the, the architecture and the art and the deities and the numerical system and the way of offerings, sacrifice, all the things that they potentially created, the calendar, all went to the Mayan, which then went to the Aztec and all the other peoples in that area. It's possible that they, due to probably crop failure, volcanoes, environmental factors, that it declined, but never eventually just died out. I think that whatever remained were assimilated into what then became the Mayan civilization. Even though it's not exactly in the same area, or maybe a proto-Aztec civilization, which is actually more in the Mexico area, but Belize, Guatemala, and things, people dispersed and assimilated into other other areas because of some kind of factors that allowed that didn't allow them to stay where they were because people don't just die out no they just spread they spread or they die out due to factors natural factors you don't have a whole civilization you don't have a whole civilization city yes maybe yeah all you have to do is look at pompeii but civilization no that doesn't make sense no not to me at least so that's that's my personal theory on it is that they didn't actually die out they just diminished spread and were assimilated into other local groups that then probably became Mayan or Proto-Aztec. Huh. I like that theory. If anyone else has any theories, feel free to let us know. Let us know, please. Like I said, like we've already stated, you know how to find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Gmail. That will be all for today's episode of History Explains It All. You can basically find us on... Stitcher. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, 
Spotify. Uh, Spotify, anywhere else you happen to get your podcast. Uh, I can put all the links to the podcast on our lovely Facebook page. Facebook page. All of our sources, our maps, our pictures, anything like that will be on the Facebook page under our sources. Yes. I literally create posts every single episode that is put out a post the same day as the episode airing so that you have all sources at your fingertips as you listen. Mm -hmm. So, and like we said, please send us feedback. Send us ideas. We'd love to hear what you want to hear about, too. Give us a review on iTunes so people can find us easier. Give us a review on anywhere you listen, actually. Yeah, and any suggestions, reviews, anything like that is definitely going to help. We don't have sponsorships. This is just the two of us here having some fun, hoping you're having fun along with us. And we hope to see you guys in a couple weeks on our next episode as we've been here trekking through history here at History History Explains Explains It All. All. Bye. Bye.